our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello and welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your host Sim. We have a very, very special guest with us today. I had the pleasure of interviewing Trista from HSBC. She is the EVP, Designate and Head of Wealth and Personal Banking in HSBC China. And honestly, you guys, I had the most interesting chat with her about wealth creation, about kind of shifting our view from how we grew up looking at wealth and how we can start looking at money as not something that's a dirty word, but instead something that can be used as a tool. Now, Trista has been working in the financial industry for over 18 years, but didn't start in that space. She actually was a journalist in university and kind of lucked out, you could say, found herself in finance and loved it so much that she has been there for a decent amount of time and she absolutely has some gems to drop to us with all things investing, all things personal finance, and most importantly, all things female empowerment. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Before we get into the show, a huge thank you to HSBC for powering this week's episode. 80% of money media tell women to spend less and make them feel bad about money, yet more than 67% of women want to learn about their finances and grow their wealth. We are so proud to be partnering with HSBC as they pave the way for financial well-being and diversity, which aligns with our mission of empowering women. An integral part of HSBC's mission is to empower and support each customer with their unique wealth needs, whenever and wherever they are. So whether you're at the very beginning of your wealth creation phase and taking your first steps in investing, or you're starting to think about passing your wealth and values to the next generation, HSBC can connect you to global opportunities at every stage of your wealth journey. Jump onto the link in the description to find out more. All right, back to the show. Firstly... Trista, thank you so much for joining us today. We are very excited to have you here. For those listening in to Girls That Invest, Trista is the EVP, Designate and Head of Wealth and Personal Banking at HSBC. And we're just very excited to have a chat with someone who's working in the space of finance and someone that has such a wealth of knowledge because you've been in this industry for quite some time, haven't you? 
Yeah, indeed. And enjoyed every minute of it. That's amazing. Now, for those that are maybe new and are interested in working in finance and, you know, don't know where to begin, do you mind just giving a quick explanation of your role and what it means? Very, very glad to. And probably I am uh, well positioned to answer that question because when I graduated from university, I didn't have a plan to get into the finance and banking industry. I certainly had no clue what are the roles in the financial industry. I was majored in journalism. So if I put in a very plain vanilla language, in banking, there are people focused on serving the needs of individual customers. There are people serving the needs of corporate institutions. And the part of business I'm accountable for within HSBC is serving the needs of individual customers from first-time investors to mass efferent to very high net worth individuals. I have been with HSBC 18 years, as you were saying, Sim, long mm-hmm. enough, <laughs> but uh, have been having a lot of fun and I have worked in different places. But now my role is running the China business, the mainland China business for HSBC, serving the needs of our mainland Chinese customers, both domestically, but also help them to connect with other markets, other countries as they travel or as they move move abroad. That's amazing. And for those that are listening in and wondering, because this is a question I had myself when I was learning about your role, what made you choose more of the individual pathway rather than the business pathway? Did you have a preference for a reason? Oh, uh, that's a quite a tricky question because if I didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to if offend anyone who's not doing exactly the same thing as I'm doing. <laughs> the interesting part is that the choice to me has been pretty personal, if I may say that, but probably could resonate with some of the audience and listeners here. First of all, because HSBC is such a big financial organization, it does have a very unique platform. You can choose all kinds of finance jobs within actually HSBC group. So my almost kind of first, I would say 30% of my, my time with HSBC was on the corporate side mm-hmm. and the later two thirds were on the personal side. But in Interestingly, the moment for me to decide to move to personal side was purely a personal choice, personal circumstance. I was pregnant and I was expecting a baby and I was traveling a lot across Asia region before that. And I wanted a job I didn't need to travel, at least within the first two years after the baby was born. So I looked internally within HSBC, what are the opportunities? And there was a fantastic opportunities on the business of serving individual customers, what we call as today is wealth and personal banking uh, in HSBC. So really it was a a personal circumstance that led me to make that decision. But since that, I'm converted, right? I don't want to go back to the other business. I'm enjoying that through this platform, we are creating real, tangible, direct impact to individuals. Very simply put, that's what I enjoy. I think that's the best part of any job. Like when you feel like you're actually making direct impact and you can see the way that like people go through the journey, there's just nothing like it. And I wanted to touch on a little bit earlier in your career, you know, you've had such a six and you are having such a successful run right now. But for maybe some of our younger listeners who are at the start of their journey, maybe they're starting to go into university or they're not sure where the next move is. How did you find yourself into 
finance? Because you did kind of mention earlier, you know, you weren't sure if this was going to be your pathway. Yeah, yeah. So brilliant question, Sim. If I may publish building on that a little bit, your choice of word in terms of success, I think there are many different definitions in terms of what success. You know, it's all relative if by money, by social status, etc. But personally, I do have a definition of success, which is about fulfilling your potential and mm-hmm. you are growing, you are learning every day. And to me, as long as we are achieving that, at least for me, as long as I'm achieving that, I feel that's a big success to myself. And that has led to my, I would say, choices of career jobs. And within HSBC, I also worked across throughout 18 years, probably 12 different jobs. But every time it was not because of the, you know, that job offers a promotion offers a better pay, et cetera, is really that job gave me the intellectual challenge, you know, Mm. fulfill my curiosity, push me to do more of. And you know what? Once you do that, actually the other part of the package, you know, the pay, (laughs) the promotion comes with it. So, you know, that has been a very fulfilling journey for me. And at the very beginning, and kind of joining HSBC, I was actually running a training company. I had a startup in China, which was specialized in training and development, and also leadership, specialized in leadership and and sales. You know, startup today is tough. At that time, startup was also tough. And my, my fiance then was having an even more successful startup. So for the benefit of him, I decided to join HSBC and to polish my professionalism in a corporate environment. And, you know, that's the interesting part of my career. I even started with HSBC not as a banker, as a training department lead. Then HSBC platform opened the whole different kind of world to me. And my math has always been good, I would say, <laughs> but I never imagined one day I would understand derivatives, right? so, <laughs> understand the different views of CIOs, etc. But, you know, it actually was not that rocket science. So I definitely encourage our young graduates and others who are interested. You don't have to be, by the way, you don't have to be joining a finance institution, but female have a lot of chance to be successful learn for few in this industry as the same as men but also also beyond this of course there's a lot of other areas than just joining the financial institution can also enjoy the benefit of being you know spend a bit more time managing money managing wealth i especially love the part that you spoke on you know maths is not rocket science and i think a lot of us get it in our head that you know what i'm not naturally good at maths or i'm not naturally you know good with numbers i can't do it in my head therefore i can't have a career in finance or i can't be good with my personal finance and I think it's just so important to continue to remind ourselves, well, one, we are good at maths. You know, it's not like everyone's born naturally with a calculator in their head. It's a skill. (laughs) But number two, even the things that you find difficult in the beginning, it's refreshing to hear that you said, you know, you just keep going. Even things like derivatives, you kind of get it's not that tricky. (laughs) Absolutely. That's amazing. And I wanted to touch very quickly on the whole idea because we were kind of going down that track anyway. When it comes to female empowerment, is that a big theme for you and your work and what you do? Absolutely. I think I'm the beneficiary of it. 
in a way. So part of me is also want to, you know, share the benefit I have. And also I've been lucky to join HSBC. From my heart, you know, HSBC has 35% highest number of actually female in senior positions, 35% in Asia, and then also have the highest number of actually female in the organization. You probably wouldn't believe it, but actually it's more than half. So actually women <laughs> is more than men in our, in our business. In Asia, it's 57% are female. So you could see that I naturally benefit from this kind of platform. But we fully recognize, you know, that kind of privilege is you shouldn't take for granted. There are still a mm-hmm. lot of opportunities and area for improvements, etc. There are a lot of things we do through our day-to-day work. And partially, you know, going back to what you were talking about, the mass numbers, you were referring to calculators, etc. And nowadays, you know, organizations like ourselves, we also invest a lot in uh, fintech, you know, tools just simple tools to break down the very complex concept to you know to people who haven't been majored in economics etc and tools to help people to manage their budget tools help people to actually understand the gap towards retirement tools help people to understand you know interest rate is going up the inflation is you know this high and what does that mean to me those tools really help to make complex things really simpler. So we are very, very passionate about doing that. And then, of course, financial inclusion and a lot of financial education we also do. And then lastly, just, you know, in HSBC, it's not only me. There are many women successful. And as I've been quoting those numbers, I didn't realize, to be honest, that, you know, the power or impact the role model the part of me probably kind of took it for granted in terms mm. in, in the privilege I have received and also part of me kind of think because I haven't have been privileged enough not being kind of mistreated so I took it for granted these things are just normal and female successful in finance industry is just normal but then the more exposure I have I realized actually there are perception glass ceilings there are perception of really is this something you know it's just unique to certain individuals but not accessible to a lot of people so the more female bankers we actually able to nurture and develop we are creating basically more role models make many girls and women believe it's not just one single person's luck or one single person's privilege. There are thousands of or 10,000, 100,000 of us can be very successful and are being successful. That's such a good answer. And to sort of speak on role models, when you were younger and you were, you know, still in school or, or even before that, how did you perceive wealth? Did you have role models that sort of demonstrated that they were good with money and you thought, oh, everyone's like this, you know, it's a very easy journey. Or did you not really have, you know, maybe such a positive experience? And has that changed since you've grown up? Mm. Going back to my childhood, I wouldn't say that I had a kind of role model because at that time of China, it was really a underdeveloped country, right? I probably learned the name of Warren Buffett maybe at in my age of like early 20s rather than, you know, he was a household name in US. People probably 10, 8 years old would know him. But my mom has been someone who's been very good at managing budget. And, you know, the typical story, as probably as many have experienced, you know, piggy bank. And I was given the piggy bank and to save so that I can decide what I want to buy. 
and my you know thing in that way she probably caught caught my first understanding of a little bit of financial independence so i think there's difference between realization of financial independence to financial freedom mm-hmm. and later on as i experienced different kind of up downs in life and especially about kind of the exposure when i travel around the world and my job actually gave me the access to different markets globally you know from the north america canada us mexico argentina brazil to the europe uk france uae and to you know the asia also have a vast range in terms of different level of maturity from even China's Hong Kong market to Singapore or to Malaysia, Indonesia, India, you name it. And I also, in a way that shows through that career, I saw different level of finance kind of living standard exposures, mm-hmm. how the finance level also called finance ability of the society of the people, very visibly, you can see that as you travel world and then not only travel as a tourist, but actually doing the business. And I think that actually fundamentally made my understanding of wealth management, financial literacy, independence much richer. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone, and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. And also give me this continuous source of, uh, I would say, passion to, there are so much to be done in this field. There really is. And I think we've seen so much improvement over even the last decade. And I'm sure you've probably also seen it within, you know, your own workforce. Would you say that financial wellness or people talking about money has become more normalized in the workspace? Or do you think there's still a lot of taboo, especially within, you know, like our Asian cultures where we don't want to show off or brag that's not really part of who we are. Do you think that's starting to change? Actually, I think it's already probably changed, maybe by a different degree, but certainly it's all changing. I couldn't even, I would say probably no place hasn't changed. At least, you know, where I see, especially in the past two years, the pandemic you know, even feels probably for some country, for markets, feels like a long time ago, everything has come to normal. But people would remember it, those moments of uncertainty, kind of a lot more risk. And, you know, people couldn't carry on a typical job, etc. And then in the past uh, one year, there's a lot of volatility in the market. 
And I definitely see people realize there were a group of people who were very much focused on making the money, but mm-hmm. not really focused on managing the money. And I think the market itself, the involvement of the market, these events in, the, in our life have shaped people to approach this differently. And in a way, they do even a probably better job than us financial institutions have been educating. So even though, you know, these are, I have to say these are unfortunate events, but these events does, you know, teach us good lessons, what we can do differently. So within our own workplace, certainly this is no taboo at all, et cetera. And we also encourage both financial wellness and also the physical, mental wellness because all these things are very connected, right? If someone has someone in their family has a debt, unexpected they need to manage it's very stressful and then you know it even could drain down on the mental and physical health it's, you know of course everybody wants a virtuous uh, cycle right <laughs> that's very true when it comes to financial wellness I really did love your definition of like what success really is and I would love to hear I am throwing a little bit of a curveball on you I'm sorry but I'd love to hear no what is problem your, <laughs> what's your definition of financial wellness like what does someone need to achieve in your eyes to go okay they have achieved financial wellness Mm. that's a really very interesting question sim let me try to bring probably some perspective to it i think first of all is the awareness that's the first step in terms of financial wellness that's awareness as i was saying that managing money is equally important for some people is actually even more important than making the money and secondly, is actually is to do with also the three connected parts in terms of physical, mental, etc. And because of wealth is part of the life, so part of financial awareness, I would say, is about also have a clear understanding of what you want, and have a realistic planning to achieve it. In a way, financial freedom is all relative, right? For some people. I would say maybe, you know, X number is good enough. But for some people, even 10 times that X, they will feel stressed because they don't feel it's enough. So that maturity to understand what you need, what you want, and then build a realistic plan to achieve that. To me, that's a very important aspect of financial wellness. But then the last part I want to say is probably connected with personal growth. To me, the financial wellness is if from behavior perspective is to actually keep learning as well. The market's changing so much and all the banks like us, there are a lot of financial players in the industry. People out of good intention are producing a lot of vehicles and products. They are also not very professional players who are producing products <laughs> not very helpful. So that learning ability and the growth mindset and learning is not only about what you learn, but also know where to get help. Go find the expert, find a good tool, et cetera, dependent on your status, so that you have a constant awareness that you need to learn something because this whole thing is changing. External environment changing, markets changing, what's available is also changing. You need to keep learning as well. That's to me the last bit I would stress under financial wellness. Oh, I love that. And one of the things that we keep seeing coming up, especially with sort of the younger generation, is 
sort of a, a hesitancy around wealth creation or wealth feels like a dirty word to them perhaps where they feel that, you know, I do want to be financially secure. I do want to reach financial wellness, but it feels wrong to say in front of people, I want wealth. And so where do you think like the mainstream perspective of wealth is heading? Do you think we're getting to a space where women can say, hey, look, I want to be wealthy. I want to take care of myself, my family, my future self. Do you think we're like, you know, because you work in the space and you have so many conversations every day, are you seeing a shift? Mm. It's very interesting observation. I'm not seeing this amongst, I think there's a big difference between age group probably. Mm. Not so much difference across countries, if I may say, you know, from where I have experience with. I'm not seeing that probably in the kind of 35 above we call it segment or persona, that age group. But we are seeing some of the, I would say younger, but they're already university, graduate from university, like the early 20s, et cetera. And also, you know, including with my, my, my daughter, she's uh, 13 years old, right? So <laughs> how to have conversation with them? And I can see there's a vast difference in terms of attitudes on this, but certainly the younger generation, that seem to have more tendency of more perception, like you, what you described as, is this a dirty word? So that's just kind of from my observation perspective to confirm with that. But I think for us, we do have a, probably a role to play. And as a mother, and you know, with our old children and as friends, you know, towards our female peers, and also as a professional to help people to appreciate there's difference between financially greedy and have the financial goal as the only goal of the life. I think mm. that's detrimental to people's physical and mental wealth. It's also no value to the society. But having financial independence, that should be the kind of the minimum we all should expect ourselves or get support of. And as professional to create vehicles and tools for people to, to achieve. And only with financial independence, you know, those wellness we talk about, but you also can pursue your hobbies, passions, mm. you know, do the good deeds you want to do. And then, of course, if you achieve financial freedom, we also know that is uh, even more so. And one thing I also recognize actually just came to my mind. I personally did have a bit of those in my early days, kind of feels like, you know, it demonstrated in my behavior being a female, which is, by the way, is actually supposedly to be quite common female trait. You feel not adequate to discuss your pay mm. or ask for, you know, a pay rise. You feel it's not really decent enough or probably come across a bit low if you say, you know, I, I want to make more money. And actually, I, I was coached <laughs> that that was a, such a wrong idea. <laughs> and I made change to my own behavior. So I do have, you know, empathy with where those come from. One thing fundamentally also changed my own perception and view on this is also realized that there's nothing wrong with how much money you have. Actually, it's about how you spend your money. Mm -hmm. uh, how you to put your money to good use. So some of the younger generation, they seem to have those perceptions because they probably see people with a lot of money are not doing a lot of role modeling behaviors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, are, they are showing off luxury goods, et cetera, different, you know, those lifestyle totally against the environmental friendly lives, you know, 
the way that the earth is not able to support everybody living those kind of you know luxurious life. But that shouldn't be translated to against making money because if you have ability to make money, you have a lot of money. Put it to good use. Doesn't mean that you have to spend them on the things that you know others are showing off with, right? It's a type of funds, charities, etc., or even just give the money to people that around you need support with, or use your money to incubate some ideas to change the world. There's a lot people can think about. I love that. It's almost like you're saying money is a tool, and you can use that tool for amazing work instead of fearing the idea or feeling shy about the idea of having money to begin with. I think that's such a much healthier perception to you know shift. This has gone by so quickly, and I could probably listen to you chat for another couple of hours on this topic. <laughs> There's one question I would love to ask, which is, Again, a little bit of a personal one. We've really gone deep today, but what is one lesson that you've learned that you'd like to share in relation to wealth? Something that whether it's related to financial wellness or related to your journey of changing your mindset around wealth, what was something you had to change and what would be your advice for those listening that want to change it as well? Okay, can be a bit greedy not to have just one. <laughs> have as many as you want. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it short. I'll keep it short. Uh, certainly, other than you know, looking at my own life, other than the piggyback, I didn't start very early uh, in terms of managing my wealth. I actually think one you know, wide advice I would give is start young, start early. There's never, you know, two people think about, oh, I'm just 20. Why should I worry about retirement? If you understand the power compound, you want to, you actually should start early. So start early first, definitely. And second is to always look for expert support, people or tools. There's a lot of things even um, you know, internet that available, you watch YouTube, etc. There's a lot and you know, listen to this podcast as an example. There's a lot of means. But get support, get help. It's not a thing that you need to figure out all on your own. There's many people have traveled here before, many people are learning. There's a lot of areas you can get to get support from. So that's definitely the second one. Thirdly, is actually fundamental investment philosophies is always remember, stay invested and diversify. That's amazing, Trista. We asked for one and you gave us three really helpful nuggets of gold. That is Thank you for so giving me kind. the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I think we don't get to see or hear from the people that work in such large and very interesting companies, especially in the financial space. And when we you know, grow up and we don't have exposure to this, I think sometimes we wonder like, what goes on in these places or how does it work? Or if I want to get in there, like what does the day-to-day -day life look like? And so you've really helped sort of break that down and also show that, like, I, I just love the fact that you're like, oh, you know, like, gender inequity I didn't really experience that in finance like that's that's what I want to hear from everyone that's the goal <laughs> I didn't learn anything from a university definitely <laughs> about finance <laughs> I was in journalism I learned a lot about medias and news uh, maybe my in another life I would do your job try your industry sim <laughs> if you ever want to come over and swap seats we can do it I'd love to see what it's like in your day <laughs> I would love that too as well. Oh, well, thank you so much, Trista, for your time. We really appreciate it here at Girls at Invest. And I'm sure all our listeners are going to be walking away with some really, really interesting, one, learnings, but 
couple of interesting questions for themselves to go home and think about, you know, why do I not really like the idea of wealth? Why is it a dirty word? And how can I change my train of thought from, as Trista said, moving away from thinking money or wealth is bad and instead thinking, how can I use it for good? Because one is so much more powerful and it's going to change the world. So thank you so much again. Pleasure. Before we go, thank you again to HSBC for not only powering this episode, but for the rest of the season. Don't forget to check out the link in the description to find out more. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence.